Hi everybody, it's Joey Remini here from seekingbalance.com.au. I'm a vestibular audiologist and neuroplasticity therapist, and I love to have holistic conversations on how to heal chronic vertigo and chronic tinnitus. And today I want to focus in particular on our hearing health and how we can protect our ears, protect our hearing, and I want to really flesh out more about the topic of music and loving music and making music, in particular for anyone listening who might have troublesome tinnitus or pain in their ears or distortion in their ears and they're worried about music and how to engage with sounds safely. So we are speaking with Siobhan McGinnity, who is in the process of becoming Dr. Siobhan as she's completing her PhD. So welcome. Thank you so much for your time. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Joey. Yeah, so Siobhan and I actually met at Melbourne University through the, through the Masters of Clinical Audiology. And I have had the pleasure of watching Siobhan develop through her master's degree and taking a really keen interest in musicians who are passionate about hearing health. And mm -hmm. Siobhan is a pioneer in her own right who has founded Musicians for Hearing, which is a non-for-profit organization that helps to get hearing health and hearing accessible technologies out into third world countries and to people who really need it, who might be, um, you know, needing financial assistance or community assistance. So would you like to start by introducing your love of audiology and your love of helping people and let the listeners get to know you a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I got into audiology possibly for a similar reason to you, loving helping people. Mm -hmm. um, and I found it to be the perfect intersection of my love of science and music combined. Mm -hmm. um, and then ended up in my dream scenario where I research every single day of my life now for a job, uh, hearing and music, and more importantly, how to help people hear music for life. So I'm very much prevention focused as opposed to treatment. Mm. Um, and just feel all of my body go, ah. <laughs> Everybody calm. <laughs> um, yeah, and I have to admit that I've seen a hell of a lot of musicians now and I have so much love for their journey and I get a real kick out of taking someone from the edge of a bridge in a very real life scenario to back on stage. And I think that that is so rewarding for the whole team involved in that process, but also the individual. Um, so yeah, from every aspect, clinical, non-for-profit work and research, my drive is that journey. So for many musicians, and you and I are both musicians, so we have mm. a taste of this. In fact, uh, my partner this morning said, have you ever put a sound level meter to your violin? Because that's really loud. <laughs> And, you know, when we're loving our music and practicing and rehearsing and performing, we can be in toxically loud environments, let's face it, you know, and unfortunately that kind of goes with the job. And so it's very important that musicians, whether you're an orchestral musician or a rock musician, doesn't really matter. I think it's very important that you have education about how to protect your ears, when to know if sound is safe. And when to know if sound is actually noise and that noise is creating ototoxicity potentially in your ear and mm. putting um, too much duress on your inner ear hair cells and inner ear mechanisms. So mm. do, you wanna, do you have any little quick, easy ways for people to gauge safe sound, safe music, safe levels? Mm. Dangerously loud. Mm -hmm. 
there is, obviously we don't all have sound level meters. Yeah, I mean, and that's, if you segregate, there are two different ways of answering that question. And one is mathematical and involves technology and an awareness of everything. But the way that I will answer this, which anyone can do in any location, anytime, is to just sit with your body in the moment that you are with the music. And there's a quick checklist of things that you will be able to feel that your body will tell you you're at risk. Mm. The first is to start to visualize your ears like any other part of your body that get tired. So once we've been listening to something for a really long amount of time that is too loud or for too long, fatigue sets in. And you can notice this usually the next day or a little bit later when mm. things are starting to sound a little bit dull or muffled or not quite right. And we've noticed through research, the change happens over time during, say, the course of going out for a night at a loud gig, but is quite significant and people most of the time can tell. Mm. So my first step for you is learn when you get tired and then take actions beforehand mm -hmm. um, if you're going to be back in that environment. If you want to be experimental, I once went to a gig and I wore an earplug only in one ear and I didn't wear it in the other and after an hour, I went out and just listened to the world around me. And I heard that dullness in the ear that was exposed compared to the clarity and the warmth and the richness of the ear that wasn't. And so it was my own experimental lesson. And you can get that anytime, anywhere. Mm. The fatigue is a definite sign. The other symptoms that your body's going to tell you is ringing. I, I just want to, I just want to clarify mm. there. Mm -hmm. Devon's referring specifically to hearing fatigue. So it's not mm. necessarily that you feel tired and you want to go to bed or you've got like sore muscles because you've just been on a big run. Javon's specifically referring to hearing fatigue. So I just wanted to clarify that, but that is a great tip. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we can even add, if that was 1A, 1B can be generic overall fatigue. because like sensory overload. Yeah, yeah. I, I've recently published a report and one of the findings of individuals who did wear earplugs regularly, they were saying, I'm less tired at the end of a rehearsal. I can yeah. play longer. I can do this longer. I don't feel as bad the next day. And there are physical effects that happen throughout our whole body, in particular, all your blood vessels mm -hmm. in the presence of overwhelming loud noise tighten. Mm -hmm. And then what that means is that you overall become tense and it's like a stress response throughout your whole body. And yeah, you're going to say something. Yeah. You're like, yep. <laughs> in, in the Rocksteady program in module four, we go through learning to understand your sympathetic nervous system, which mm -hmm. is the flight or freeze system. Mm. And then the parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of our rest, digest, repair, sleep, and you know, yeah. have sexy time. That's our parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. And learning to navigate and feel when you're in mm. the sympathetic or the parasympathetic is actually a really important part of both yeah. prevention and mm. healing. Mm. So the body mm -hmm. doesn't like to be under that distressing duress of the sympathetic nervous system all the time. It really needs to have the, the pauses and the restfulness of the parasympathetic. Yeah. However, interestingly, if someone were to be always in the parasympathetic resting, digesting and sleeping, they can become lethargic, dull and depressed and isolated. So we actually need to learn to use both. Both are, mm. that's the ideal. So mm. this is really interesting. So I'd love you to keep sharing. What other hot tips could people keep an ear out for <laughs> for um, protecting their ears and enjoying music? 
Yeah. Um, again, tuning into your body because, and the reason why I'm bringing this back to you and making you, you know, um, purposely selfish in your focus is because everyone's threshold of discomfort and injury is different. Totally. We do not know why some people, we call them tough and tender ears in research. Some people genetically are stronger in their ears than others. So mm. this is why everything I recommend is personal. So the other thing to look out for is tinnitus, uh, a ringing sensation that you might hear during the evening or the gig or the rehearsal or the next day. That's a sign that you've injured that system and that you need to next time take steps to protect. Yeah. And that injury can be so minute, um, e even enough to cause that ringing. It's not cause, I don't want anyone to be like, I've had that ringing once and therefore panic. That's not what it's about. It's about recognizing that internal warning sign that your ears have literally said to you, that was too much for me. I'd really appreciate it next time if we did something a bit differently. Yeah. So just kind of that, having that conversation. It's kind of similar to training for a marathon. And when you get home, you think, oh, my left knee feels a bit of a dull ache. Mm -hmm. I think I might need to talk to my coach about my running technique. I don't want to ignore this because while my knee is healthy and fine and working, it's not broken. There's a yeah. dull achiness and you kind of don't want to ignore that because if you're training for a marathon, mm. you need your knees. So yeah. when you think about those bipping, ringing or static sounds in the ears that can come yeah. from noise exposure, yeah. while that can lead to injury, it's not always permanent. Sometimes you can think of it as bruising and the mm. ear will recover. So you'll be really lucky. So mm. just reinforcing what Siobhan said, you don't need to freak out or panic. No I mean, panic. Yes, I've had um, noise exposure-related tinnitus for sure, and it has not been a problem at all. It's resolved itself with time, and I learned my lesson. So um, just wanted to reiterate that learning about your body, it's, it is a trial and error, and sometimes we overdo it. We overstimulate, and then the body has a little bit of temporary tinnitus. Give us that, that little message. Mm, absolutely i don't know if you can hear but my dog is howling in the background to be let in i might just oh, buddy. quickly let the he's a beautiful rescue dog he's just going to come inside briefly he won't come in, in come in all right so what other tips have you got for us in terms of learning about hearing protection and our ears uh one thing that i i really like is starting to visualize what you see we really do that mm -hmm. and when we think of low pitch sounds, everything is so sluggish and grandiose in the way that it moves around us and through us. But when we come to the higher pitch sounds, so I'm talking about your violins or your guitars, the sound narrows in its focus and starts to come through in a much more targeted angle. Mm. So if I was to play a speaker or an amplifier with that moderate to high pitched instrument coming through it, the sound is literally going in the direction of which my speaker is. And the way that taking that knowledge into your musical practice can help your ears is in particularly beneficial on stage or in a rehearsal environment. I'm gonna look at guitars for one second as my example. Mm. Taking your amplifier, angling it towards your head so mm. that you clearly hear your instrument among everything else without it tilted even a fraction off your head and all of a sudden you can't hear yourself so you go up in volume and then the natural competition of everyone's signal to noise ratio in the band goes up as well. And so what you 
unintentionally do, and this is true for any instrument of that nature, is you cause a rat race in volume until you're all exhausted and you're all at that discomfort level. So recognizing what frequency range am I playing in? How can I position myself so that I hear it clearly without needing to turn it up? Or when I play, am I on stage, it's at foot level and blasting into the head of the audience, but to me, I'm thinking it's soft. So kind of getting that awareness of the physicality of sound and the visual sight line that sound has. I love the idea of thinking about, oh, I'm starting to echo in your computer. Can you hear that? Um, not, not this end. Okay. Um, so I love the idea of thinking about how is this impacting other people mm. and their hearing health as well as protecting our own hearing and that sense of community and we're all in this together so just to reiterate what Siobhan is saying is when we make music louder if you th think visually again it's almost like we're getting a bombardment of more vibrations entering our ears for our poor little ear bones to get more agitated in our eardrum and the, all the hair the little inner ear hair cells are doing more work and so when it's a tiny softer and the volumes a whisper and it's softer and the volume's down it's easier for the ear to deal with that amount of vibration there's less of it so when it's a low pitch sound it, it moves in a slower waveform and when it's a higher pitch sound it moves in a faster more rapid waveform and it's it's it does create a lot a lot of work for the ears so mm. if we can be really smart and clever into how we hear the music and how the, the speakers are directed towards us, it means we might be able to have increased efficiency, therefore requiring less volume. And mm. that means we're giving the ears less work to do and overall just less saturation. Mm. Yeah. On that note, it actually surprised me when I first learned this, that in the world of hearing, very little change makes a very big difference. Mm. Yep. And a reduction in 3 dB or 3 decibels of sound is a halving in the pressure that you're putting onto your ear. So just such a small fraction at that top end is giving a huge amount of relief mm. to your auditory system. So you don't need to turn things down or change the environment too much before. Or strain to hear something that's too soft. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there benefit in people putting a bit of money into having some customized earplugs and feedback systems? And, you know, I know that would be a higher financial investment for the musician, but did you see any benefit to that? Yeah. I mean, we live in Australia, so tax deductible, if you are a musician, get on board with that. Hmm. Um, there is a range of options available that can suit anyone's financial needs. So, you start down the lower end, of course, with the foam earplugs. I'm not going to necessarily recommend them, but stepping up into, say, the $30 range, Choice and Hear Smart recently released an entire review of the music earplugs available in that range. Mm -hmm. So you can go online, find that article, and see if one identifies with your needs. The only people that may really struggle with that are those that have particularly curvy or narrow ear canals like myself, where most generic earplugs aren't really going to work for me. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I think they were made for men in <laughs> with bigger ears, and that's fine. But a lot of women, and I see, can't fit those sorts of earplugs in. But moving up the scale, trying to get something that is with a more even attenuation across music, rather than 
maybe a little bit of bass reduction and lots of high pitch reduction. The custom earplugs really aim to give you as flat as possible across the musical spectrum so that when you're reducing sound, you're not necessarily introducing distortion. Yeah, so when Siobhan says flat, we're talking about an equalizer there. So the sound actually sounds natural. It doesn't sound flat. It sounds, as, as you would have heard it, but we've just turned all the volume down on all aspects of the sound instead of, for example, just reducing the bass or just reducing the, the high pitch. So we're trying to keep that as an equalizing natural volume shift. Mm. And any other options available for people to ask around? The, the next generation is electronic. So we're talking about electronic earplugs, mm. which um, actually one researcher from Sydney who's looking into classical musicians found that even though they still have their difficulties there, like every other plug, they're a little bit more accepted and easy to use for classical musicians. Mm. And then further on the line of expense, uh, in-ear monitors. However, mm. if you're going down that, there's no research to date saying whether or not in-ear monitors are hearing protection, but I think applying logic to getting them is important. So the recommendation is getting them custom. They block out what you don't want. They give you what you do want so that mm. that choice is there so that you're not making the speakers play intensely loud into your ears because there's a poor acoustic seal leaking sound in and out. So the moral of the story is we want you to hear what you want to hear. So you don't yeah. have to be oversaturated by noises that are really not benefiting you and the thing you love most, which is your music melting in with your band or whatever it is that you're playing. Mm -hmm. So do you want to speak a little bit to people going back to the audiology lectures many, many, many moons ago? <laughs> I remember we were talking about you know, the louder the sound, then the more quickly the hearing damage is going to set in. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if it's comfortably loud, so it's not raucous like a rock concert, but comfortably loud, the hearing damage might set in a few hours later. So time exposure and volume level exposure kind of all adds up and it's a cumulative effect, a little bit like eating sugar and getting diabetes. Mm -hmm. Do you want to speak to that? Is there any new evidence on this or anything you want to add for people who are perhaps a bit lazy with their ear protection and feeling good today, but you know, what's around the corner with the accumulation effect? Yeah, there's probably two things that come to mind. The first is talking about the math that I mentioned earlier, hmm. um, that in the world of science or hearing conservation, 85 dBA is hmm. safe for eight hours from a work perspective. And is that and like an airport or what's 85 dB in the... In that's the probably a city street city level street. of noise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a busy city street tends to be around that level of sound. So it is still loud enough that you're raising your voice. You're certainly not speaking at a normal volume mm. um, and that you're raising your voice possibly within a metre of the person that you're speaking to. Um, so that's the start level. And then once we double, which is we go up in 3 dB, Theoretically, we should always have exposure time to stay safe. So if 85 for eight is safe, then 88 is only safe for four hours and it continues on. And that very real exchange comes into play when you consider what we're finding in, say, nightclubs that are you know, potentially well over 100 and people like to stay there for four hours on average. 
and very few wear earplugs in that environment. Mm -hmm. Or you're talking about a rock gig that, you know, we've seen measured up to say 112, where within seconds, everyone in that environment has occurred, incurred some small amount of injury. Or classical, which, you know, you think would be safer and sure it has, you know, great dynamics, but is still often in the 90s, even up to 100 or 103, depending on what you're playing, looking mm -hmm. at Mahler and Wagner in particular. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's definitely scope and people do get injury from classical settings as well. So it's, there's no demonization of any genre of any kind because it can happen anywhere. Yeah. Actually, some, a really like simple, useful tip that I offer people who are asking me for hearing protection opinions or professional advice is if you're listening to music all day every day and it's something that is a part of your life and a way of life and so you're really clocking up the hours I generally say to people and this this applies to in your earbuds or in surround sound if you need to raise your voice to speak to someone who's right in front of you at an arm's length if you have to raise your voice to be heard or that they need to yell for you to hear them it's too loud like for comfortable daily use of, you know, frequently listen to music. I think it's important. You can speak like Siobhan and I are now at a normal speaking level without strain or stress. So that music is audible, but not taking over. But what would, what would you say to that? Um, I, so this is, feels like we're leading into headphones. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So definitely want to include that conversation. Yeah. So the research that I've come across with headphones shows that overall people actually do far better than we give them credit for in terms of healthy listening at healthy levels. Mm. But where people go wrong, and it doesn't matter what you're using, is the presence of background sound. So imagine that you're an individual and you put your headphones on in the morning, you're listening at home to start with and it's nice and quiet. You step outside, the street noise kicks in, so you turn it up a little bit more. Then you step on a train and suddenly there's, you know, busy commuters all around you, noise from the city all around you, and the headphones go way up in volume. That process from door to train can be as much as 20 decibels increase in volume so that someone hears their headphones properly. Mm. So it really is once we place ourselves in poorer acoustic environments that we do risk damage. But the good news is that there's a difference between types of headphones. If you have ones that don't fit re really well, they kind of leak sound in and out. Probably and like this. Maybe, yeah. You know, yeah. that's different to ones. I wonder if I've got an example of the other ones. You can get ones that really sit nicely deeper in the air and they provide some blockage of external sound. Mm. Yeah, or the gold standard where they, they completely muff your ears and you're getting what you want to listen to. Yeah. There we go. We've got some yeah. uh, should unfold them. These are actually noise cancellation ones too, which block out the exactly. outside noise so I can hear my movie or my music and it's amazing. So okay. what you're talking about there is signal to noise ratio. The signal is the music. You want to hear that well. It's only logical that you turn it out to hear it. But if the noise is loud you're always going to turn the signal above the noise so you can listen to your music mm. that's why if you can get headphones that turn the noise down for you then you don't turn this up and they're actually becoming really affordable you can get yeah. some, you can get really affordable noise cancellation headphones they're great for travel for aeroplanes for cutting out that background quite loud an aeroplane the background mm. fuzz 
So yeah, I would definitely encourage people to explore that. If you're listening to a lot of music and it's important to you, you want to protect your ears. Yeah. And that's beautiful. So did you have, and you may be just totally tired of thinking about your PhD and talking about it, but do you have um, any like important information that you think it's useful for listeners to learn about? And you did mention the diplocusis, if you, if that's something you want to share with listeners. Yeah. Of interest. Um, that's not necessarily something that I discovered through my research, but certainly through the reading leading up to that, mm. uh, is that hearing injury can show up in a manner of ways. And there are five main conditions that musicians experience. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one researcher called Kahari in 2003 released a paper saying 74% of musicians experience one of the five. Mm. And they are hearing loss, which we've already talked about, tinnitus that we've led to, mm -hmm. uh, hyperacusis or reduced tolerance of sound, distortion where you might, it, sometimes it just sounds like a speaker's blown rather than hearing something clearly. And then the fifth one, which about 4% of musicians experience, which is diplocusis. And this is um, an unusual one where the sound enters as one pitch, but then splits into two, maybe in the same ear or between ears. And it's one of the greatest causes of being tone deaf that we know of and may be the reason why some people are born with an absolute inability to pitch <laughs> because they've just literally got this competing second voice in their head all the time. Mm, and um, it's, it's not a harmonic, obviously. Like, it's, it's, it's really out. Yeah, it's something that I intermittently live with myself and let me tell you through my own experience is very difficult to pitch and I've done some research if you're a mega nerd you can look up a TC helicon pedal on a detuned setting and listen to what I interpret my um, diplocusis to sound like so I don't know maybe we can put a link somewhere and then people can go and listen to what it sounds like um but yeah and I think it's really important to always understand that you are the only version of you on the planet. And mm -hmm. there, you know, we've mentioned five things, but that isn't to say there, there aren't even more things out there that we haven't discovered yet. And yeah. there's something that I love about the ears. I mean, the eyes are, are extraordinary as well and vision. And I love learning about the eyes too, but I feel like the ears are so much more enigmatic and they're hidden and, you know, you can't shine a torch on the ear and, like you can on the eyeball and mm. there's so much going on behind our eardrum behind mm. our middle ear you know within the labyrinths of the cochlea and the balance organs it's just such a highly complex sophisticated organ that i think if you are knowing something's not quite right with your ears you're probably right you're probably detecting something's not quite right but that yeah. doesn't mean every audiologist or every doctor or every specialist is going to have a word for it or a name for it, or even understand how it occurs, because mm. arguably some hearing distortions happen in the midbrain, and it's not even happening mm. at the ears. So there's, it's a very complex system, and I think it's important that you go to your doctors for medical clearance anytime you notice significant changes to your hearing or your tinnitus. Mm. And significant changes, I would say, you know, generally last for a few days. It's not necessarily just a blip in and out that disappears in a benign manner but talk to your doctor and make sure you have medical clearance which means the doctor can assure you there's nothing sinister going on 
beyond that medical clearance, it could be something that to a certain extent you will have to learn how to either rewire with neuroplasticity or find a way to appreciate and lean into what's happening for you, knowing that it's normal for you. Mm -hmm. So just to really try and not fall into that trap of demonizing and abnormalizing what for you is your natural living experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On that note, there's several, and I don't know if this is too much off topic, but there are several amazing musicians out there that have kind of guided my eyes towards the physicality of music. So we can get focused on hearing music and that's the only way to experience it. But if you are experiencing any of these conditions, learning to focus on the vibrations that you feel, the way your throat feels when you sing certain notes, there are so many other sensations your body sends you during and through music mm. if you tune into them you actually in my mind become a stronger musician because you just have more tools at your disposal totally so what we're talking about there is really full embodiment of what you're choosing to do which in these examples is is make and create music but also mm -hmm. listen to and receive music mm -hmm. um and that was i've just lost my train of thought but i wanted to build on that well our proprioceptive system is like intimately connected to our inner ears and our spinal column and how we're receiving vibrations through the body mm -hmm. and as Siobhan said we can become visual about how we hear sounds and well that's what I wanted to say we can embody even through dance and I'm actually not a dancer but I am like it's not my first thing but I started learning African drumming as like a way of using neuroplasticity and extending myself and trying something new and that led to some African dancing. And I was amazed at how by trying all of these different things, I was realizing when I danced through the African rhythms, it dramatically improved my capacity to drum, which dramatically improved my capacity to play my violin. Hmm. So it was like by embodying the, the rhythms, uh, it was having a cascade effect on some of my other skills. And it was, it was really helping to expand, I suppose, my coordination and also my memory of those very complex music, musical rhythms and things. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's really a, a, a thing for people to look at, at exploring. If you're struggling in any way with your hearing, see if you can move to other senses in your system, smell, taste, sound, touch, movement, all of it and improve other aspects because you'll probably find it has a little bit of a roll-on effect. Do you want to, have you explored that yourself, Siobhan? Yeah, it's actually, I've got a personal idol in Evelyn Glennie, who's one of the most successful solo percussionists or drummers worldwide, mm -hmm. and she's deaf. And um, she's she feeling said, it. She's really feeling it. She's really feeling it. <laughs> and she said to me, when life takes something away, it leaves space for something else to grow. Yes. And for my, you know, I know if we said we weren't going to go here, but it's relevant here that during my own experience of deafness and removal of music, what grew was the physicality. So the focus inward on listening to the vibrations and feeling the vibrations and playing with my shoes off, like all of those things where I'd, it was a grounding and an experience of music that was more physical than it was auditory. Mm. Um, and now as my hearing fluctuates back to normal, I don't lose that, 
they just go in combination together. Um, so they work, they work in tandem and you can continue to develop any of these things. But, mm. you know, I love in her own Ted talk, she explains about taking off, um, her shoes or placing her hands on the walls or on the skins of drums and listening to the difference that any small sound would make or even, um, you know, coming into music therapy, laying underneath a giant drum and feeling the wave of vibrations because in certain, when the drums are big enough, you can feel the difference and hear the difference and it's quite soothing. Mm. Um, so just diving into this whole other experience of music to bring back with you. I love this. This is all multimodal and multi-sensory experiences mm. and there is no right or wrong way to explore it. So I would encourage anyone listening to this to just think about anything that you're kind of semi-attracted to, you're curious about, avenues that resonate with you. It's that whole thing of saying, well, I'm not a dancer. Yeah, but I can still dance. Like give, mm. let yourself open up to trying things. Um, and you might want to look through my YouTube channel at an interview with Peter Roberts, who is a thanatologist who works with harps and plays harps on people's bodies for that vibrational effect as they're transitioning through death. So he works with people dying. It's amazing using harp vibrations. Mm -hmm. And there's also a talk with uh, Jess Higgins Anderson, who's a music therapist. And so some of you who are resonating with these conversations, there's a few other interviews you might want to follow through with. And I'm hoping next week to interview my mom, who's a dance therapist, a music and movement therapist for Alzheimer's. So this really is a great segue into her interview. So that's coming up soon. But Siobhan, to finish off with, I would love you to introduce to people Musicians for Hearing. So it's m4h.org.au and I'm going to add a link. And talk to people who might want to volunteer to get involved with, you know, signing for deaf people to hear music, whether they want to donate, whether they want to read your website and share it everywhere on social media. Talk a little bit about what they might find when they look into the world of musicians for hearing. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, if you're looking for resources, the website is designed for you. There's a resource tab where you can go and learn more about anything that we've discussed here. And that will grow with time as our own personal resource grows as well. But there's also a stories tab where musicians share their experiences, audiologists share their insights, journalists interview famous you know, people about what their whole take on things are. So if you're feeling in any way alone or that you don't have someone to relate to on this journey, the chances are either there now or in the future, there will be something that you can find that at least correlates with what you're experiencing um so yeah head in there and if you are the dog <laughs> hello puppy come back here if you are looking to find ways where you say you want to give your time give your finances all of that is possible um there's links all over the website to direct you that way and we'll hopefully we haven't done a gig in a while as we've taken a break i'm finishing my phd one thing at a time but we Auslan interpret all of our music fundraisers and our music gigs. So if you're in town, come along, be a part of it. Yeah. So based in Melbourne, generally speaking. That's, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. So it's M4H and that's the letter, no, sorry, the number four, m4h.org.au. And I'll pop a link down for that. And so much of healing is about feeling belonging and connecting with your community, find your people. So if you're a musician who's all about healthy hearing, 
Mm. Connect with Siobhan and her people. I think that's the mm. great place for, for you to be. Yeah. And in a positive way. That's what we, like, too many places, as the last thing I'll say, is you go online and everything yeah. is negative and draws you into that kind of black hole and you can't get out of it. We're not about that. Everything yeah. is about making you feel like you can put an arm up and climb out. So hopefully that helps. Yeah. So it's exactly the same for those of you out there with chronic tinnitus or vertigo symptoms. Check out seekingbalance.com.au and we have a closed Facebook group that you can freely access called Rocksteady for Vertigo and Tinnitus. And we actually have group rules that you're not allowed to post about symptoms and diagnosis or ask for advice or give advice to others because it's really important that the conversation remains about healing. And the more we focus on our healing, the better we get at actually implementing healing. And unfortunately, there are a lot of support groups out there where it's all about symptoms and diagnosis. And, you know, it's really heavy stuff. It's so mm. important to surround yourself by people who are motivated, inspirational, and helping you move forward with a completely new mindset that opens doors and possibilities and friendships and builds community based on healing. Mm. So Siobhan McGinnity, thank you so much for your time. All the best with wrapping up your PhD and congratulations. Thank and thank you for contributing this new knowledge to the world. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I'm Joey Remini from seekingbalance.com.au and it's a bye for now. <laughs>